Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that would love an apology from all of the podcast short sellers. I'm Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool and I'm joined by the straw man's Andrew Page. How are you, mate? I'm very good. Very good. A, a nice cryptic reference to start Do you the like show. that? Do you like I that? I did. I did. Are there podcast short sellers out there? Maybe, there should uh, be. Maybe there's a gap in the market. Yeah, if there's something to be exploited, short sellers will exploit it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you say exploit like it's a bad thing. Is that a bad thing? Well, well not necessarily. No. Mate, um, it's almost Christmas. A, a, a pre-Christmas present for you. What's Straw Man again? Straw Man. We're a private online investment club. Okay. And uh, yeah, we like to talk about stocks and uh, try and give ourselves a bit of an edge by, uh, I guess, uh, using the collective brains trust that is our community. Nice. Is there a nerdier phrase than we like to talk about stocks? <laughs> I just it, it, it's, it it's, it's, it's almost as bad as I I I build model trains. And nothing's yeah. anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it 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 it, it defines us as a particular genre of person, does it not? Let, let's let's be honest. I, I, and uh, apologies to any members that, that are listening out there, but we're a pretty geeky uh, group. <laughs> you know. um, that's, that's part but, of the you fun, know, right? yeah, but but proud of it. I like it. I like it. Mate, we will talk about some short selling in a little bit of time. Let's kick off with the macro as we are want to do. Um, we had some, so we're recording this on Thursday morning, the 16th of December. We had some interesting news overnight from the US Fed. And we're not going to talk a lot about the so what here because we talk about inflation and interest rates most weeks. And we do it, A, because it's kind of important economically, B, because there's just, there's been news almost every single week for the last. I want to say month and a half, mate. Almost every week there's a new kind of bit of data or announcement or something to kind of suggest what's going on. This time it's a big one. Mm. The Fed's now expecting three rate rises in 2022, uh, which is a, a meaningful turn. And again, in terms of meaningfulness, they've actually changed their rhetoric around from full employment, which was kind of reasonably latterly added once, once inflation was dead. Mm. And they've kind of dropped that now in favour of restraining inflation. Mm. And, and they've kind of built the cat pretty seriously. This is, I, I have a, whenever you see a central bank, you've mm. got to assume they're a bit like the duck on the water, right? On the top, it looks all serene. They're heading in a single direction. Underneath, they're paddling like mad. I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that I think they are much, much more worried than they're suggesting. Given that inflation annually was 6.8% the last read we saw, they hoped it was transitory. They dropped the word transitory, I think it was even just last week. And now they're saying three rate rises plus tapering of QE in 2022. Um, I, I, have, I have a suspicion that the unvarnished conversations before they actually sit in the official board table are, oh my God, uh, we can't let this thing get away from us. We've seen it happen before. We've seen this movie, early 1980s. Paul Volcker, for those who heard of him, had to jack rates up phenomenally hard in the US, literally to kill inflation. And it it hurt like buggery, pushed the US into recession. Um, that was the recession they had to have. They, mm. they weren't silly enough, unlike kidding, to use that phrase and uh, create a political noose for themselves. But I don't know, mate. I, I don't want to be too dramatic about it, but I, I have to believe they are twice or three times as worried as they're letting on. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and this thing is evolving quickly, isn't it? it so is. as you say, we've sort of been talking about it most weeks, not because we've got an axe to grind. I know. It's, <laughs> it's just in the paper every week. So when we sort of have a chat yeah, about, well, what's yeah. in the news? It's just yeah. it's this. Yeah. And it started off very much as, oh, it's transitory, mm-hmm. uh, sort of logistic chain issues, uh, COVID mm-hmm. impacted, mm-hmm. And all short-term kind of factors. Very very sensible, reasonable narrative, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just looks as, look, it, maybe that is still true, but it just it's evolving in a, it very mm, fast mm, and in a direction mm. that's actually, yes, I also get the sense that maybe this mm. is less transitory than we think and they yeah. need, need to act. Of course, 
they're not going to they're not going to come out and and give you that unvarnished truth because if they did they'd crash the market so well not not perhaps crash the markets but it would have a very big impact if they came out and used much much more forceful language and said listen we're really really worried about this um, we're we're going to have to put up rates maybe much faster and and more significantly than we thought that's you know even when they sort of give these hints we see re- mm. reactions on markets so yeah it's 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 fascinating it is it really is and i don't um yeah, yeah. There, there's there's also stuff. There are absolutely the markets. Um, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. But um, just a, a yeah, I, I, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Twenty twenty two. I don't think we necessarily need to do anything differently. We've talked about what we otherwise would do. Um, it is worth mentioning because it is like it's it's a it's a big deal economically, right? Like you know, at a broader economy level, uh, prices. Unemployment, inflation, those things matter, yeah. um, and and they matter to the companies that we invest in on some level. If it's literally just a bit of price pressure or a reason for them to put their prices up, or someone will get hurt by it in the ways we talked about before. Um, so it's, it's worth mentioning for all those different reasons. We won't spend any more time on it because we've done plenty of it. Uh, if you want to head a little bit more of our views, should that be you and you're maybe relatively new to the podcast, you haven't listened to every episode, uh, go back for the last two or three weeks. We've, we've kind of opened the show with with that kind of conversation most of the time. Um, mate, let, let me let me just ask the, 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 the one quick follow-on about the local story. Then we've done we've done the US. I've got a – if it's not transitory um, and at the moment the RBA is kind of saying, well, yeah, well, US is kind of it, – it, it's it's only local there because of X, Y, Z. Uh, we're not seeing the same pressures here. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I – as I try, try to say most times you talk about this, um, I'm very, very, very well aware. I know a whole lot less about central banking than, than – Phil Lowe does. And so realistically, when I say, yeah, but I think, um, you know, the, by, by almost by definition, it's like, you know, it's, well, let, let's not go to the anti-vax campaign. Let's just say there's a whole lot of signs out there. And when the person on Facebook says, yeah, yeah, but I think, you're like, yeah, that's, no, mate, that's not right. <laughs> so let me, let me, let me cautiously uh, say that it seems optimistic to me that, that the world's largest economy can have inflation of almost 7%. And will escape the same the same challenge. I, oh, it, it just it just strikes yeah. me as unlikely that we get away with it. Well, for one, as we've as we've mentioned before, uh, a very significant part of our banks' lending comes from offshore markets. So mm. there's going to be that direct effect. And it's it's a it's a global economy. We're more interconnected mm. today and at the end of 2021 than we have ever been. So those price pressures yeah. will flow through. We we are a, a mm. net importer. In fact, when mm-hmm. you when you get rid of just like rocks which is our main sort of uh, export um you know a lot of the the consumer goods and that that we buy are all from overseas we are gonna feel it we cannot not feel it yeah yeah so yeah uh expect an interesting 2022 i I will say mate um we you know a bit of looking back a bit of looking forward but you know we had the evergrand thing um in was it november i think October, whenever it was, and that could have been the next big thing. It turns out it wasn't, even though they did default. The world didn't end. Well, the not, world not, didn't not end. yet. Let's be careful. Well, they've defaulted, right? So they've missed two payments now. It's officially in default. They're now in the case of how do they manage this through? I mean, you're right. Maybe, maybe they're. I, I mean, yeah, not in the yeah, in terms of its 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 uh, knock on effects yeah. and the rest. Yeah. Like that, that's still playing out right now. Totally, and you and you may well be right. So my my point though is that there will be lots of headlines next year. Some, you know, for for every ninety nine. 99 and a half headlines one of them will be or half of them will be a uh, will be a potential actual problem right for all the things that we were worried about going to 2020 just that COVID the thing that no one was worried about in November not 2019 ended up being the very problem that we had to worry about yeah. which is kind of you know the, a, a decent amount of the point uh, so I guess I'm just saying 
as we go through next year, there will be no shortage of headlines about reasons to worry, panic, be concerned. We yeah. will keep you up to date here if we think there's anything that changes. There's a pretty good chance that we'll um, just keep doing what we're doing. Well, that we just that needs a, a bit more colour, as an analyst would say, because that <laughs> oh, doesn't mean don't. that we do, we don't think anything could happen. I mean, it correct, absolutely correct. could happen, but that's yeah. that's the. The easy and yet the hard thing about yep, investing yep, yep. is 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 that uh, even though let's say the almost the worst mm. case scenario the, we've got to be careful here the worst worst mm. case scenario is we all live in Mad Max Thunderdome kind of territory <laughs> but you know a very bad uh, scenario could still play mm. out mm. but but the response is still going to be the same you know where you can continue to remain invested in fact buy more and mm. just mm. look look through to the other side even if the other side is several years away mm. Um, mm. so easy to say I know we it just rolls off the tongue doesn't it and I'm very mm. overtly mm. aware of how difficult that is. And and it's also yeah. you know even even like personally I've been we've we've mentioned before I've been through a number of these big cycles mm. and I mm. never I have never I, I've gotten better at it and I'm I'm reasonably proud of how I've acted in mm. in various mm. market dislocations but I've never prosecuted it the way I I could have or should yeah. have yeah um, and that's <laughs> that's just the nature of it because when these things happen the very uncertainty that is that is is all quest- making us question ourselves is what gives us the opportunity so you kind of sort of have mm. certainty and the opportunity at the same time so yeah I like that I think that, that makes a lot of sense and I think that's the it'll other be thing too potentially scary you don't have to be perfect you don't have to respond perfectly no. you just got to try and avoid not, you avoid make too many bad mistakes right so sometimes maybe often um, did we, did we, you know, do we sell the house, liquidate everything else, and go, yeah, double down in shares and borrow a million dollars and, you know, throw caution to the wind? Of course not. No. But um, not selling, not running away, not panicking, not not reading the headlines. Um, I had a, a tweet directed at me during the week from Stephen Kukoulos, the economist, who actually, by the way, was a guest on the Good Oil podcast. Quick plug: if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, check that episode out. It was nice. our very first one. It was a good one. Um, so uh, he he tweeted. He basically said, "Mate, this is you'll you'll like this." He took the closing. Um, uh, number for the ASX 200 on June 30 and yesterday's one I was again recording this on Thursday so it was Wednesday afternoons and effectively there was almost exactly zero change over six months or you know, mm. five and a half months mm. and that was his point was yep nothing's changed and so you know and and it's, I, I feel slightly um Slightly happy, mate, because he did actually tag me in the uh, in in the tweet. Uh, so obviously, I'm having some impact, which I which I appreciate. And Cook, if you're listening, thank you for uh, for doing that. Um, but you know, he's kind of like, hey, this is uh, <laughs> you know, this is kind of the the uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm making an impact, and I like that. Um, I maybe I'm saying it too much. If, if Cook feels the need to, uh, to to tag me on the tweet, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but what I thought was was really useful, and it's just it's just a reminder, right? So I'll just read the tweet for fun. The ASX ended FY21 on 30 June at 7,313 points. Today, 7,327 points, unchanged. Some individual downs offset by some ups, but well-managed funds will be broadly flat year-to-date, plus dividends. Best not to look every day and get euphoric, then disappointed. Ping, TMF Scott P, which is my Twitter handle. And I just, you know, it's just, it's, it's sometimes, you know, like I think I'm occasionally insightful and thoughtful. It's just easier to quote other people sometimes. And, uh, and he said, right, that was kind of the point, right? For all of that sound and fury, we end up roughly where we started. And that's a, that, that's, that's, it's a, yeah, we'll have down days, by the way, down updates. It doesn't justify anything in particular other than don't forget about the short term. Imagine all the headlines between June 30 and today or yesterday and all the reasons why you could have been worried or euphoric or both. Turns out just chill out. Which yeah, well, yeah, that's that's true. Although I'd layer into, I mean, it, so that's how it happened. To that's that's the fact. We look backwards. So yep. I, I guess what I was getting at, like hi, again, I'm not. This is not a forecast, but hypothetically, and not beyond the realms of possibility. Maybe in in six months' time, it won't be that. It'd be like thirty or forty percent down, or not, or for yeah. thirty forty percent up. 
but my, my point is, is that, yeah, A, you don't really do anything differently. But the follow-up point I was going to make was um, you. The, the key thing in all of that is you've got to make sure that you survive. There, there's yes, there's yes, no, yes. if you're wiped out in the process because mm-hmm. you've got a lot of leverage mm-hmm. there, you're just up to the eyeballs and stuff. It's just like, you can't do all these things, i.e. just be patient, potentially buy more and the rest of it. So yeah. it's sort of. It's, it's one of these things like all of this stuff works really, really, really well until it doesn't and then you're completely gone. And there's, it's really hard to climb back out of that hole. So it's always going to suck if there is a, a, big, a big downward move in the market. But if you're not a forced seller and you've got a little bit of cash on the side or you're still being able to mm-hmm. generate an income, mm-hmm. uh, then, that, then, then that gives you the position to prosecute this in the way that you should. So mm-hmm. I would just sort of say rather than trying to forecast what the market's going to do or when it, if it's going to turn, which is just a mm-hmm. mugs game, no one can do it, just make sure that if the worst were to happen, you're still standing with your pants up but not around your ankles because, <laughs> because that's, that's the situation you really want to evolve. I avoid, sorry. I agree, I agree. And by the way, it's also my um, my take on uh, having cash, which is a funny, yeah, different conversation, but we'll, we'll leave that one there. Mate, let's move on because I think, I think we can declare the race over. Not that race. That was a race. It's still a race. That's a different question. The other race, the, the generational race. It turns out, and it pains me to say this, Andrew, as, as someone who is now uh, getting closer to the get off my lawn stage than the cool and funky. Well, I was never cool and funky, but you know, I was young once, allegedly. At least, at least uh, chronologically young. Maybe I was always an old man, I'm not sure. But, you were um, always an old man. Old I was man. probably always an old man. <laughs> Let's be he honest. Says that way too smoothly. Um, the millennials have won, dude. How we've, so? got, we've, got to, we've got to give it over. It's all done. Turns out, turns out, this is, I think this is fascinating. Um, uh, the a headline in the Australian, this has got um, investing ramifications, believe it or not. Headline in the Australian, why companies are saying yes to the demands of the avocado toast generation. Uh, now it's a, it's a uh, the avocado toast is, is the UK version of our smashed avos. Uh, of course, that generation famously uh, were told they couldn't afford a house because they were having too many smashed avocado toast uh, brekkie brunches or lunches on the weekend. Um but and it was widely won. mocked as it as well, it should exactly, have been as it should have as been. It, yeah. But it turns out it turns out they win. So here's some research done by Nicholas Bloom. In, he's a Stanford professor. Uh, U.S. maybe U.S. might be rather than U.K. Uh, here's the here's the opening uh, the opening couple of paragraphs, which is pretty stark. Employers are so desperate to retain staff in a tight labor market, they are allowing employees to work from anywhere for a month, even if they are not productive, rather than have them quit says one of the world's leading workplace researchers. Stanford University economics professor Nicholas Bloom says, quote, labor markets have become so hot that employers are having to do stuff they don't want to do for efficiency, but they have to do to retain employees. Um, I'll actually read the third one because this is, this is kind of, they, they buried the lead here. It's not ideal for productivity for staff to work in a holiday resort, for example. He says, but, quote, you have to manage it. It's the only way to retain 20 and 30-somethings. It's the avocado toast generation that basically wants to travel the world and they have all the tech skills that companies want. Uh, which is just a fascinating... I mean, we know unemployment is is low-ish. We know that uh, workplace uh, demands for highly skilled workers are, are remarkable. Um but it's it's just an incredible, incredible, incredible change. Um, here's here's a bit of a research bit of research uh, that was done as well. In, in one survey, only sixty percent of people said they would go back full time if asked. Thirty percent they said they would go back but actively look for another job, and ten percent said they would quit on the spot. Now, I'm always I'm always mindful of new normals, mate, because we've we've seen plenty of new normals in our lives that weren't new normals, and yet 
the advent of, well, the, the, of course, the, the occurrence of COVID itself is horrible, but that combined with the increasing tech uh, savviness, the, the tech developments of mobile telephony, uh, how's that mobile telephony? Doesn't that make me sound like I'm born in the 1980s, <laughs> right? Uh, mo- mobile phones. Um, but, you know, the idea of mobile internet connectivity is really what I'm getting at. And things like Zoom. Uh, you and I are actually recording this podcast over Zoom. We have a, a little um, individual microphones at our each end that we're recording the audio at each end, but we're chatting over Zoom to kind of make that all happen. We have done, I think, since the very start of this podcast, I think I've seen you in person for over a year, it must be. It's been a while, um, yeah. We had, we had planned a, a burger, but that got cancelled because of work, work commitments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the reality is we've been able to put this podcast together. Would it be slightly better if we were together? Probably, yeah. But given the health concerns, given our time and where we are and all that kind of stuff, um, it's a perfectly fine alternative. And, you know, Bloom's point is, hey, this is, this is the new normal and the, the avocado toast generation have won. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a bit, I, I really don't like those terms. Every generation looks at the younger generation and thinks, what a bunch of losers, you know, <laughs> forgetting how stupid we all were at that age. And it will always be the case, that's you know? Right, that's right. And, and the great, the great irony is, is that, uh, you know, we all grow yeah. up to be our parents and, yep. and that, that's just, that's just the circle of life. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of unfair stuff gets put on the younger generation. Yep. Um, uh, I also think that, you, I think what COVID has shown is not only that we can all work remotely, mm. but that in fact we can work very productively remotely. Mm. But but it's it's less. I, I've always I've worked in a couple of places like this, and it's always been soul destroying. Where right. it's not about how good you are at your job or what you get done, but how long you sit at your chair for. You know, it actually it actually yeah. would disincentivize disincentivize you to work productively. It's like, well, if I'm stuck here till six anyway, I'll just Mm. go as slow as I can. You know, it's sort of, it's really bizarre kind of stuff and really, really weird um, Mm. uh, factors happen from that. But if someone can work remotely and they choose to take a good chunk of the middle of the day off, but work late at night or in a, in a cycle that, that works really well for them, then why not? It's all about delivery. It, it depends on the job, right? But as long as yeah, the deliverables are yep. being uh, delivered, um, why the hell not? And I think people mm-hmm. that have been slow to accept that have actually it, – it's not just a is it a, a cool thing to do, a nice thing mm-hmm. to do to retain staff. I actually would argue it's better for the business. I, I caught up with a friend a little while ago who works for a very, very large database company. It's, it's mm-hmm. a private one, so it's not listed. And it's a very old school boss there and uh, really didn't like people working from home, even though they were largely developers. So with an internet <laughs> connection, they could work anywhere. And actually yeah. when they came into the office would make them wear suits, you know, which mm. is again sort of something that's really you know, becoming less and less the norm. And it just mm. like people who are highly skilled in, with, in, a, in a vocation that is um, experiencing very, very high demand. In other words, you can sort of like get a job really easily if you're, if you're a reasonably decent sort of programmer, developer. Mm. Guess what happened? They all up and left. And now the business is gutted out. Exactly. And it's not just a matter exactly. of re- replacing them because it's the, the, the knowledge base that walks out the door is huge. Trying to rebuild a culture is massive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't do it. You know, just because it's touchy-feely and this this precious, you know, younger millennial generation can't handle it and that's how we have to treat them. It's like, no, 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 you do it because it's better for business. You know, this is this is why Google has the beanbags and the foosball yep. tables yep. and the, yep. and the yep. chef. It's, it's, you know, it's it's because they want it to be a great place mm-hmm. to work. They want their workers to be super productive. And, and guess what? Happy, secure people are very, very productive. Yep. <laughs> um, and and, and re- minimizing staff churn and the rest of it. So I, I think- 
I think a lot of this conversation needs to be reframed and it's not about, you know, the, the bosses having to you know, begrudgingly adapt mm, to, mm. to what, what uh, some people might want, but actually ensuring that, they're, that they're, their employees thrive because that's good for business. Yep, I agree. And that, that was, that's actually my, my, the key reason to bring this up, other than it's fascinating for its own sake and, you know, we, 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 we like fascinating stuff. Um, I have said, I think we might have talked about the podcast once before, but I've certainly said on Twitter, um, if you gave me a basket of companies who let their employees work flexibly and a basket of companies who said no, I would happily go along the first and short the second. I'm not a short yeah. seller. By the way, it wasn't the reference to we started with. We have got that short selling reference still to come. Um, it, just, it, just, it just seems to me, as you, for all those reasons, mate, if, you are, if you're a sort of company who says, no, no, you, you can work from home, but you must not, you must come to the office, there's a very, very good chance. There are some there are some outliers, right? You, some people have to be. We talk about offices like everyone's a white collar worker, by the way. There's plenty of tradies and and other people who just obviously need to go where they are. Um, yeah. So, so you know that that that's real. Courses for and, courses, and, definitely. Yeah, and lawyers yeah. have to be sometimes in the office and or meeting clients and or in court, right? Although court's been done on Zoom these days as well. So you know there there are some there are some circumstances. So we we have to. We have to be mindful of that. I don't want to. I don't want to blanket this. But stuff, it comes right? back to that flexibility point. Though, totally right? right. That's the point. Whatever the job is, there's even the most white collar of white collar jobs. There'll be yep. certain times where you need to be available. You know. Yes. Yeah. But, but and that's my that's my thing. So if you had a, if I had a basket of companies that said, "Hey, knock yourself out, work from home," and a group of companies said, "Actually, no, you must be in the office for, for you know unreasonable reasons." Uh, I as you said, I employees are going to walk even even separate of that, mate. Just generally. I would happily, even if, even if, well, what happened? The employment numbers would say the same. But seriously, if you have a company run by some people who are so micromanagey and over the top, and like the, you must be in the office just because you must be in the office, that's a really, really good sign those people aren't geared up for the future, right? If oh, you're yeah. so desperately saying to people, I don't trust you, or I don't like it, or I don't care, or I don't want to think about it, or it's not real, or whatever, versus the company that's like, you know what? We're, we're looking ahead and we're trying to be flexible because we, we're preparing for the future. Well, it, well, that, even if that future doesn't actually come in any meaningful way, it just tells you as much as I think you need to know about management. Again, not every company. I wouldn't say every company that does, that, you know, makes people work from the office is going to do badly. And every company that doesn't is going to do well. But I would hap- I would happily take a basket. Um, I'd even take I'd even take an even odds on that basket. Frankly, mm. um, I think that you know the first group will win and win well just because of the way they they, they run the kind of um, uh, the businesses. It just it just makes perfect sense to me. Culture is such like we, we've often talked about. And people often ask, you know, what do you look for when you're trying to evaluate a company? And yeah. you, you obviously focus very heavily on financials and ratios and all of this kind of stuff. But culture is just massive. You find a place that has a really excited culture. People want to be there. They enjoy their job. I mean, work is work, right? So given mm. anyone who won a billion dollars would probably not go to work the next yeah, day. That's but, right. Yeah. But within, the, yeah. within that context of work, there are people that can – find some um, uh, satisfaction, be engaged. And it's just, it is such a powerful thing. And and it works in reverse too. When when things happen to impact culture, such as big layoffs, mm-hmm. often happen, we talked the other day with mergers and acquisitions, like a merger yes, will happen yes. and then half, yes. the, half the acquired company's workforce gets gutted and there's a new culture that you're going, it, it can be, this is why it's often, you know, the, the numbers don't always add up. You know, the, the analysts will sort of say, oh, all these synergies will be unlocked and we'll do mm. this. And it exactly. actually doesn't always happen. And the answer <laughs> yeah, is is yeah. culture. And I bet you there's a very significant number of people listening right now who have mm-hmm. been through that direct personal experience and know what it's like. Mm. And and when that, atti- that attitudinal change can just have very, very material impact. So yeah, yeah. for me, it's it, there's two parts of it. One, there's just, well, yep. doing the right thing by by yep. your, your fellow colleagues and, and, and employees. But two, just 
just hard-nosed financial business decisions would yeah. argue that yeah. if you really want to maximize profits for shareholders, this is something that you should be very focused on because it matters. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And then that's, you know, it, it's hard. It's always hard to tell. Um, but it's, I think there's, you know, and that's, that's really important. Why, why I like these conversations is because you don't read that in the finance textbooks. And you're not going to read that if you go to uni and you're not going to say, someone's not, you know, very few, very few people talk about stocks and more, more of us, thankfully, than they used to be. That soft stuff that you can't measure easily kind of gets mm. left off, glossed over, ignored. You know, the, the whole idea of like the soft stuff and, and it's almost said with a sneer, right? Oh, it's just the soft stuff. Um, it really matters. Like it, genuinely the, the the culture you create, the the way people, you know, if you haven't got happy staff, what, is, what are the odds you've got happy customers? Not very yep. bloody high. Yep. Um, I've, I've worked with, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, with, with, with you know, uh, in, a, in the grog shop with sales reps. And there were some really great sales reps who loved the job and loved their business and loved what they were doing. The others who just would come in and bitch about their company and go home again. Mm. And it's like, you know, if, if you, and it's a very, very different example, obviously, but you get the idea. Um, it's, it's just it's just remarkable. Anyway, yeah. so look, I think, yes. Well, the question, the, the question would, would follow on from that is, yeah, but how do you how do you gauge that from the yeah. outside? Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think there's a lot of things that are, there's sort of multiple ways of thinking. One might be sort of employee shares mm-hmm. and this kind of stuff. Often investors yeah, can yeah. look at that and say, oh, look how many shares they gave their employees and then I'm being diluted. And there's a lot of <laughs> legitimacy to that. Yeah, yeah, But at the same time, and, and often these employee share mm. schemes aren't done well. They can be counterproductive yeah, right. if you feel I got some shares, but I feel ripped yeah, off because I didn't yeah. get as much as Jane or Bob or something like that. But, you know, <sighs> handled true. well, that's actually money or, or the equivalent yep. of money very, very well spent yep. Yep. B- because of, of everything that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think um, I know a few investors that actually look at Glassdoor reviews and, and that kind of yeah. stuff as well to yeah. try and, and that look, look and, and and ask management about that. You, you can get a bit of a sense of turnover at the C-suite level. Mm. You know, it's sort of... Whenever there's a, a someone steps down, it's for personal reasons or family reasons. No one wants to spend time with their family. Something's going on there, right? You know, like it's more more. The, the reality is probably is like I'm jack of this place, and there's a better opportunity elsewhere. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you can never know for sure, but you can get you can get a bit of a sense just by by tracking the company closely for a while. I think that's right, mate. And, and it, it, but it's also the sound bites. You know, when when you find out a company's doing this or that. It, it, it's one. It's one next. Like it's not original investment or invest, but it's a nice little bit of kind of going. Okay, that's another bit I'll add to my list. If I knew yeah. that, I don't know. I, I won't pick a company. Cause it's not fair to do so. Company A was, you know, had had said the staff must come back to the office. Yeah, I'm, that, that's a, that's an X in a box for me. It's not, it's not the only X. It's not a final X. It's not the, the difference between necessarily between market outperformance and underperformance. But it just says to me, you know what? And by the way, there'll be people listening here who are like, I don't agree with you guys. Everyone should be back in the office. There's reasons to do it. And I get that too. And if your heuristic says we're wrong, then that's cool. Go with that. Um, but but we've seen enough businesses over our investing career, literally inside the businesses and outside the businesses. We've worked in businesses as well. Um, you, you know, if you get enough of those of those kind of characteristics, little data points, you can kind of put them together and get a sense of a business. I would, uh, you know, Peter Drucker years ago said, "Strategy eats culture for breakfast." Sorry, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Because yep, and so true. that was nineteen eighty something. Like, it's not, this is not a new concept, right? right? And so, whatever you can do to get a sense of a company's culture. So, at Woolies, for example, right? I worked at Woolies twenty something years ago, and they had the you know it was a hard working culture. They worked late, they worked long, they worked hard, um, and that's not ideal necessarily. It can be over the top, but it came from the fact that almost all their office staff had come out of stores. And so that idea of serving the customer, they used to have a little, I think I've said this before years ago, bottom of the notepads they used to give all their staff, said if you're not serving the customer, you must be serving someone who is. 
Mm. And that's just, it was a really strong culture of this is what we do. This is how we work. We're there, look after the stores. We'll make it happen. And honestly, mate, I think they lost their way on that. When, when the share price crashed and they were kind of maximizing profit and doing that kind of stuff, I think they missed, they literally missed the focus on the customer. Yep. We'll talk about Woolies in a minute, but um, it, it's, it's, it was just a, you know, a really strong culture. You got to go, that's a business. And I've always, I've always liked the business since I haven't, I've had it shares for a short time, a long time ago, haven't since because they've been pretty expensive to be fair. Yeah. Um, but but the business itself, I think it's one of these strong, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a retail, supermarket retailer, right? One of those businesses that it's very easy to look down your nose at because, mm-hmm. oh, it just sells groceries. Like, you know, it's not, it's not tech and it's not legal and it's not, but the culture there was, I, I don't know what it's like now, frankly, but was remarkably, remarkably strong. And it's one of those things you're like, you know, if these people work this way, if this is the approach they're taking, if they're going to make sure they do their best for the customer to keep the customer happy and coming back, that's a pretty good sign to business at least heading in the right direction. If it fails, it won't fail for lack of effort. And that's, that, that you know, again, those heuristics, you can't always know for sure, but put enough of those things in the yes column and you start to build a, a pretty good case. It's become a longer talking point than we intended, but one more, one more, one more thing. (laughs) I would go Go as far to say that that a CEO has really two broad responsibilities. One is the big capital allocation decisions. You know, what 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 do you do with the money that you've got? You know, you've got to invest in more business. Do you give it to the shareholders? What do you do? Hugely important job. The other important job of the CEO is Mm. to set the culture, and culture is set at the very top. And so when you've got these very big listed companies with literally thousands and thousands of employees and there is, mm-hmm. you know, 20 different layers of, of, of a hierarchy between the person mm-hmm. who's at the front line versus the CEO, yep. the CEO just can't, can't control every interaction, uh, no matter how much of a micromanager they might be, but they can mm-hmm. set the culture. And, and, and that, that is just such a key part of their job. When you have someone who's rotten at the top, that just gives a green light for other people to be rotten below that. And it just permeates <laughs> yeah, through right. the yes, whole yes. organisation. And it can work for a while, right, by the way. Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Efficiency is one of those things that you can absolutely screw some efficiency out of businesses. Yep. You can, you can, and, and arguably this was the Myers. So private equity does, ago, right? Well, that's it, right? Well, think about my years ago, right? When Mark McInnes finally left, the board kind of went, oh, with all these costs we have to effectively put back into the business because it had been run so lean for so long mm. They ran it for cash, which is fine, but they kind of, I won't say ran it the ground, it's not fair, and I don't want to get sued. Um, but, you know, there, there were, the, the, and Woolies did the same thing. Woolies margins back in the day got to, I think, six or six and a half percent of sales, which yeah. is unheard of. They were the most for profitable retailer in mm. the world, or sorry, grocery retailer in the world. Um, more profitable than Walmart in a percent, on a percentage basis. Yeah. And and it basically they did it because they they tried to maximise efficiency in the in the moment. And forgot about reinvesting for the long term. They they had a big fall from was it thirty five to twenty bucks? I think in the process, mm. uh, profits went through the floor. While well, they went, oops, we've massively overshot here. We've underinvested. We've done this. We've done that. We have to fix it. And it took yes. them a couple of years to get it fixed. I think that was, you know, that that was the mistake I was talking about. But when you then do reinvest in it, it does make a difference again. It's actually well. I'll tell you, there's a, there's been a couple of times I've done very well from being able to discern that. I know we're going to talk about it in a bit, but with our API and Sigma, are good examples. These are pharmaceutical wholesalers. And back yes. in the day, they were both, they, it was a duopoly. They basically had the entire market to themselves. But the opportunity, as I saw it for API, this is going back a number of years, <laughs> is that they'd actually yeah. spent previous years investing hundreds of yeah. millions yeah. in new warehousing, uh, new uh, enterprise resource systems, et cetera. It cost a fortune, dampened yeah. profitability, and it meant that that was money that was not going into shareholders' pockets. So exactly. it, kind of, yeah. Yeah. it kind of looked really bad. But if, if you sort of dug into it and found mm-hmm. out what was happening and noticed that the other competitor didn't, yeah. you kind of thought, actually, when all this stuff starts to to pay dividends, if you pardon the pun, I mean, you know, figuratively <laughs> pay dividends, when it, when it's, yeah. when it started pay to off. pay yeah. off, yeah. Yeah. it was huge. And then Sigma <laughs> yeah, right. was caught hot-footed. So mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. now had to turn around 
And they were in a situation where they were far less efficient. They had to invest all of this money. These programs take years to put into place and they never Mm -hmm. go well. So you've got to like then fix them all up. It's like putting a renovation on your house. But like if you ever out there in in investing land and you notice a company that's Mm -hmm. made a lot of these big investments, doesn't mean it's going to pay off necessarily, but don't don't always see it as as a negative that's just dragged profit lower. It may be something, it's not right to look at it as a cost. It's right to look Mm -hmm. at it as an investment. And the right question to ask is, what kind of payoff is this investment going to have? Have competitors been doing this? Because yeah, it it worked out really well in that instance. Um, And yeah, another another example of what we're talking about. It's important. It's also why, again, why the numbers don't matter. And it's one of those things, yeah, this, and that's that, that's kind of the the, the double edged sword, right? The hey, they're spending some money, profits lower, therefore it's a worse business. Or hey, they're making all this money, the profits are higher, and their competitors look what a wonderful business. They yeah. can be absolutely true, or they can be the the red flags, which is this is not sustainable. Or on the flip side, as you said, when you're overspending in the short term, at least, you know we are we are investing for the future. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing also, again, I've, I've tried to keep our listeners, you know, voices in my head, not literally because you people can get out. Uh, but uh, the, the idea <laughs> right, yeah, well, how, do, how do you know then? How do you know? And, and, and I don't know how you know. There is no easy answer to that, right? Um, but but having a look and seeing what they're spending, why they're spending it. And also look at the competitors, right? If, if Woolies make meaningful more money than Coles, the shareholder will normally say, look, look how great my business is, and that's understandable. Uh, but but just be a, keep the keep the... I was even sceptic. Keep the journalist's voice in your head of why is that? What reasons might that be sustainable and what reasons may it not be sustainable? Mm. What should I be looking for? What should I be, you know, and, that, and that's the question uh, because it's entirely, you know, lots of businesses go on margin improvement programs and a lot of them work. To yeah. your point about, about API, you know, the long-term future profitability was higher afterwards because they did the right things. Yeah. Um, and you can take out costs and still do really great things. There are lots of businesses that have taken out costs and been every bit as successful because they took out the right cost. Look yes. at Telstra. It's yeah. taken, you know, like billions of costs, billions of dollars of costs out over the time and shares now are four something year high. I own shares in Telstra for the record. Um, you know, the, it, it actually has paid off, but at least for now. But, um, but yeah, you've got be, to be able to just try, have a th- be, be a journalist, uh, look at both sides of the story and try and work out what's going on. I'm holding stocks right now that um, if the CEO so ch- chose to do so, he could, he could deliver an absolutely stonking yes, result for yes, the next yes, full yes. year. Yep. Because what, what what they would have to do, I say he only because in this, the example I'm thinking of, it is a he, um, mm. uh, could, they've got this big R&D uh, program underway. They've bulked up uh, the, the sales and marketing team. But, yeah, they, you could fire half. And this is a business mm. that has a lot of recurring revenue and stuff as well. So there's a lot of contracts that are locked in. So you could fire all of the sales guys. You could mm. fire all the R&D department. And these are major, major costs on the expense mm. line. And all of a sudden, even without revenue moving at all, the profit, and because it's a very um, low profit uh, company at this point in time, mm-hmm. um, would, would jump. They'd be able to say, hey, we reported a 200% increase in profit. And the market would love it and the share price would shoot up. But mm-hmm. it would be very transitory. It would be absolutely the wrong thing to do. So it's it's a question of looking at, here's a core business. Is that an attractive business? Wow. Actually, it's been masked by all this growth expenditure. But underneath it all, this is a phenomenal business. But- this growth expenditure is actually probably good expenditure because it is mm, it is mm. it isn't a cost. It's it's actually an investment, and mm. if management know what they're doing, this will actually pay pay uh, pay off big time in the future. So yeah, dig in dig into it. Go go beyond the headline numbers because there's always a story to tell. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. 
Now, what I love about doing this podcast in, well, is chatting with you and chatting about business and talking to our listeners, but it also, I get to in real time, remember that I've forgotten to put things on the agenda. So I'm going to spring one on you, just for okay. warning. Um, we talk about Willis, we talk about costs. And the big story from this week that we hadn't originally planned to cover was the 8% fall in Woolworths share price on Tuesday when the company handed down its most recent uh, profit results and, and guidance. And I'll just... Um, I, again, I'll read from the AFR this time. I'll, okay. I'll read reasonably selectively and we'll pick it up. But uh, Simon Evans is the reporter. He says, Woolworth shares tumbled by almost 11% in intraday trading and closed 7.7% lower after Chief Executive Brad Banducci warned profits in the Australian Foods Division were expected to be weaker in the first half of 2021-22 compared to the same period a year ago. And here's, here's the COVID bit. Direct COVID costs for the first half are $150 million. And let me run through them because this, this article is a really good summary. Mm. With the biggest impact being daily rapid antigen tests for warehouse and distribution centre staff and running split shifts to avoid crossover contamination. Profits are also being restrained in direct costs by so 60 to $70 million in direct costs from supply chain disruptions, higher fuel costs and duplication of truck deliveries to mm. ensure stock actually arrived in store. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and it goes, it's a really, really nice summary of- um, oh, So much to say. Now, now mm. Woolies, and what's important to a couple of things. First thing, um, Woolies decided to actually make shareholders wear this pain rather than customers. Yep. In the sense that they could have put prices up, tried to protect margins, but they realised that was going to be a silly idea and they've been through this before, not Brad Banducci, but the previous management, of trying to be too clever and try and protect margins at the expense of everything else. And that was a, it, it was kind of a kind of a big deal. Um, so I just thought it was a really important, um, uh, it's just a really important kind of consideration to think about the way they're going about doing this stuff. Um, what you know, inflation costs, all that sort of stuff's happening right now, um, and just it's just worth you know, the, again the choice they make here is they could have they could have supported smart. profits, right? Exactly. I think it's smart. Yeah. Yep. I, I look, it, there there'll be a potential future where mm. a lot of this COVID stuff doesn't turn out to be that bad, and you know, some analyst at Macquarie Street will go, oh, what, a, what an idiot. He spent all this money on these rapid tests and he, he rotated right, the staff right. and added all these yes. extra costs in. And it's yeah. like, well, we don't know. It's actually it's actually a very sensible mitigation strategy just sort yeah. of planning for the worst case. Mm -hmm. He knows that although I've often said, like there's when, mm -hmm. when you're in these situations, there's, there's going to be multiple paths forward and in some mm -hmm. situations all of those paths suck. So it's not a question of, hey, it's a really good outcome, it's a really bad one. They're all, yeah, that's they're right. all, yes, they're all yes. pretty sucky. Yes, so Choosing between least worst outcomes, exactly. That is what you're doing here, and I, and I yeah. think they're 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 actually saying it's just like, well, this is gonna this is gonna hurt us um, uh, mm -hmm. at least for the short term for a little bit, but it's far worse than having us having to close down altogether, uh, which yeah. potentially might happen if, if they find that their their entire Correct. logistics warehouse is just out of action because everyone's gotten COVID. So it's super yeah. super super smart. Yeah. I love that. I love I, I, as a shareholder, even with shares falling, would you say seven percent on the day? Uh, seven point seven. Yep. I, I think I think what. That is absolutely the right thing to do. As as a, if I was a shareholder in Woolies, mm -hmm. I'd be saying my employee, i.e. Brad, has done ex exactly the right thing. This will happen a lot when you're when you're investing in the market, where you'll see mm -hmm. companies report things that are undoubtedly bad. There's been a reduction, <laughs> an increase in costs yeah. and a reduction in yeah. profit. Yeah. It happens all the time. But the, the question mm -hmm. I, I I learned this a while ago it was such a huge epiphany. The question you have to ask is. And the market will always react very negatively on it, yeah. uh, by the yeah. way, because it's an idiot. Um, but the question you have to ask is, <laughs> is it structural? I.e., there's a difference between 
uh, Myers lose, making less and less money each year because yes. no one shops at department stores anymore and there's a rise of like these these are very very large structural forces that are in train and that are only going to get more significant over time yeah. a company that has to wear a bit of an impact because the Aussie dollar moved against them in a particular year or a particular uh, cost component spiked mm-hmm. up a little bit or a COVID they, again they're all negatives in the sense yeah. that they've impacted earnings but none of it says anything about the future viability and attractiveness of the business, not in any material way whatsoever. In fact, that's what you really want, I think, are these really great companies that report things that are negative but don't don't mm. don't have don't mean diddly squat to the, to the long term viability of the business. It's a it's an old example now, but it's mm. one I'm very fond of. It's back in the day, if you remember, with Cochlear having to do a recall yes, on do. some of its hearing aids. That's, yep. that, that cost them heaps. That was a yep. that was a really bad stuff up. And shares credit too, by the way, mate. We we're told we were idiots holding the shares during that period of time. Yep. Yep. But the question was, yep. is this structural? Is this the mm-hmm. world's greatest preeminent uh, <laughs> hearing aid uh, implant ma- ma- manufacturer yeah, right. now going out of business? Is, is this it, the beginning it, of the end? Yep. Yeah, yep. No, it's not. It's suck. It's sucky. But any major manufacturer has recalls. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not trying to be insensitive. And, you know, there, there, there were yeah. some people that, that had to have surgery and stuff as a result. Very, very serious kind of stuff. But yep. but it was, it, was, it was transitory. It was not structural. And that is yep. exactly the kind of situation you want to sort of look out for. Bad news, but that says nothing about the quality of the business. You, you'll get some wonderful opportunities in there. I like that, mate. I like that a lot. Um, I'm just going to really quickly, mate, read some of the content of this article because it's also a picture of, this is the Chanticleer article, not the one I mentioned before, but same topic. It's kind of the picture of the economy right now for companies and, and employees alike. I just thought this was fascinating. So um, we talked about the staff costs. Here's, here's, a, here's again a bit of a uh, selective quoting from the AFR. Um, Woolworths is using rapid antigen testing, as I said before, for every staff member, copying the cost of the tests themselves, tests themselves, the nurses to perform them, and the 15 to 20 minutes of lost productivity as staff await their results. Smart. Employing extra staff, and then, he says, and then losing a lot of them, Banducci rules 50% of the 2,700 extra bodies it employed in its warehouses for Christmas have left for other jobs. Wow. in the white-hot labour market, and putting other safety measures in store have also pushed up expenses. Then there are the indirect costs, and this is this is fascinating too, mate. The supply chain disruptions we've seen have been well canvassed, from struggles to get stock to the shortage of pallets that has plagued the Australian economy in recent months. To keep the shelves full, Banducci says Woolworths has repeatedly had to send trucks out 80% full, which sounds like a lot, but if you understand supply chain, that's effectively break-even, and has seen 30% of its trucks run late. Store service levels, the level of stock in a store, has been running at 90%. And it goes on from there. But, you know, it just so all the things we've been talking about over the past few months, right, this is, this, Woolworths is kind of, this is the perfect storm for them. Um, it sucks for Woolworths and for shareholders. For, for our purposes, it's just a really nice summary of a bit of a snapshot of exactly what's going on, right? Oh, yeah. Really hard to get staff. COVID yeah. testing is still a pain, still costing money. Um, the in-store costs remain hard to get stock on shelves, hard to keep the trucks full because you either send them out half full or you don't send them at all. So you've got to send them because you want, you want product on the shelves. Um, the, the the supply chain impact in the last six months have really been phenomenal. And, and we think about supply chain like, you know, uh, just about the docks or just about the trucks or just about the whatever, but it really goes all the way through to store level. And 90%, the, I mean, that's bad old days for all these. I think when I worked there, it was 90%. And that was when ordering was done literally with someone walking up and down the shelves going, yes, one of those, two of those, one of those, two of those. Mm. It's all automated these days. The trucks are all set up. The efficiency is phenomenal. But when it breaks, it breaks pretty badly and that's part of the cost. 
It's it's that's the irony of it, isn't it? A lot of these supply chain problems have been all due to just in what they call just in time delivery yeah, exactly, and hyper efficiency. Exactly. So before we used to have a bit of uh, flex there because the, yep. there was a bit of excess stock. It, would, right, it, right. it increased your working capital. It it, it made uh, inventory mm-hmm. turnover and all of these sort of metrics less attractive. Yeah. But it just gave you, it made you more uh, anti-fragile, to use that term again. Uh, right. And and there's value, there's there's potentially value in that. As you run things super efficiently, yes, yep. you get much better use of your capital and and uh, more a higher profitability. But it only takes a slight knock to really throw things out. And so it, it's it's fascinating. I, I wonder if I, I do wonder if 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 some management practices will change as a result of this mm. experience, where people think, you know what, I know it's going to cost us a bit more, and in theory, you could run this a bit bit more efficiently. But yeah. let's 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 put some extra stock into the warehouse just in case. Co- it's Kogan drink. Not to mention yeah. that. That's how they. <laughs> you said that on me. That's how they got into a bit of trouble recently because they. Well, that's the other side they of the overstocked, problem, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What do you optimize for? And that's. Yep. I, I. So again, I've I've tweeted Rick recently about this a couple of times. Uh, so apologies to those who are hearing this for the second or third time. But um, we have, we have uh, created an economy. We have we have optimized for efficiency. When everything works, that's great. As you mentioned, when everything breaks down, we have not optimized for redundancy. Whether that's quarantine stations, I think I must have this last week actually. Whether it's, or maybe it's a week coming up, as I said before, we're pre-recording some of these, so it could be any time. <laughs> it could be anywhere. At some point in the last month or the next month, I have said in the past, try and work that out. Um, you know, we, we we closed quarantine stations because we didn't need them. Uh, you know, we destock PPE because hey, what's the chance of there being a once-in-a-century pandemic? Well, not much for the first eighty or ninety years. At some point, that you know, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but economically, as you say, mate, same thing. You know what? And I, it, it is hard, right? Like. Kogan bought too much stock, got stuck with it. Woolies hasn't got enough stock and is trying to fill shelves and stores. Yeah. Um, and, and the question for those guys is, as you say, do you do you have the once in a whatever period of time out of stock situation like Woolies is having now, but be efficient the other nine or, or 10 or 20 or 50 years, whatever, or do, or do you say, well, I'll, I'll buy it just in case? There is no easy answer because yep. you can't know the odds of a, you know, the odds might be once in a century, but doesn't mean you know which year. And it's not once exactly every 100 years, 99th year you, are, you stock up. You've got to make calls all the time about where do we sit this? I, I used to work in a, a job that had as part of its responsibility actually supply chain planning. Mm. Um, I used to do, you know, a sales promotion forecasts when I was at Blackmore's, for example. And we had exactly that problem of, hey, if we have a lot of demand on this, we need some. But they've only got a couple of years shelf life and you buy too much, then it doesn't sell. And those couple of promotions or Woolies cancers a promotion. A promotion, excuse me. You got to try and work out what to do with the stock, and it really—it's a genuinely challenging problem. Well, not not to to whip the horse uh, again, but it, oh, it go is, on, let's this do it. this is the question: is like yeah. these yeah. are sucky outcomes in all of those. Yeah. It's like yeah, you know, exactly. it's very hard to know, yeah, yeah. and it's very hard to get right. And there's there's just so many difficult mm-hmm. things to forecast. And when you have outcomes that that absolutely just come out mm. against you, whether it was in Kogan's example or now with Woolworths, the question is. Not is it bad? It's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the question yeah, that's is, right, that's right. is it structural? And I would yeah, argue yeah, in these yeah. cases, no, it's not. And 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 the the reaction on the market can often be out of whack with the reality of the situation. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's right. I think that's right. Mate, let's let's move on to um to a very very different story. This is the biggest capital raising apparently in Australian history. CSL is going to ask shareholders for six point four billion dollars to help with its acquisition. I think it's Vifor in the in Sweden. Uh, basically another, another, another associated business. Um, one of the biggest acquisitions it's done 
and as I said, $6.4 billion worth of, of capital raising from shareholders to get this deal across the line. I think the total deal is valued at $16.5 billion, $17 billion, something like that. Mm. Um, it's remarkable when you talk about, you know, $16.5 or $17, and they say billion after it. I think a $500 million difference between those two numbers, right? Um, this is a remarkable deal. It's... It, uh, it's, it's an interesting, uh, so many angles in this one, none of them mm. particularly tight, but I I haven't had, I've never owned CSL shares. It's always looked expensive to me. And the question for me has always been, how does it continue to grow? It's already so big and it's already so dominant globally. How do you grow fast enough for long enough to justify the current price? Now, I've been wrong for 10 years, at least according to the share price, uh, because the, the PE continues to be really, really high. Um but it's just it's it's just interesting for so many different reasons, mate. That that you the that it has to make acquisitions this big to be meaningful. That mm. it can make them. Uh, that the share price is so high, and shareholders will be super willing to throw money at the company to make it happen. Now, I will say the share price dropped eight percent this morning. When and again we're recording this on on Thursday the sixteenth, when shares started trading again, which was by the way exactly the capital raising price. So as is always the case, you say to people, "Hey, here's a discount to raise some money," and then the share price falls by that amount. But it's a, it's just a really interesting story, mate. I. I I don't even know, again, as I regularly say, I don't even know what my question is, but it was remarkable for its size, uh, both the business itself and the amount of money it's raised, the amount of money it's asking for from shareholders. Yeah. I, and I'm, I guess the, 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 my inclination is to think, when does when does the ability and willingness of shareholders to throw that sort of money at these businesses come to an end? Such a good question and so much to say. One thing I'll say on CSL is it's a good example of what we were just talking about before. So I have owned shares in CSL previously. Get this. I bought a bunch, quite a lot for me at the time of CSL at 60 bucks. And before you think I'm a genius, not that anyone's going to make that mistake, but just in case you do, I mean, I, think I sold at like $90 or something. And, and man, did I think I was a genius. Um, what a silly, silly mistake. So lesson, lesson learned there. But mm. why it's a good example was that the reason it was 60 bucks was back, remember when the Aussie dollar was up around parity with, with the US? And it was just really, really bad for these guys. Mm. Uh, obviously, mm. who earned so much of their money overseas. But it was, again, yeah. it's that same question. Does this mm. suck? Yes. Is it structural? No. And so you had an opportunity to buy this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful business at a real, at a real discount, mm. uh, even though they were suffering on the, on the FX conversion uh, there. And now we sort of fast forward to today. And do I still love the business? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic business. One of the best mm. businesses on the ASX. But I don't own it at the moment. And I've, I've actually long felt for probably since the start of 2020 or so that it's just been a little bit too expensive despite mm. that that quality. I think it's probably been borne out over the last couple of years because it's pretty much <laughs> still, still around that level. But my point being is that that's actually a great time to make a monster acquisition because as we've talked before, when your share price is rather elevated, your cost of capital, you don't have to give away as much of the company to raise the same amount of money. Yeah. But actually, it's much cheaper. So I think mm. so. I'm, so I'm making a long run up here to, to answer your question. So I actually think mm -hmm. the timing of it makes sense in in the sense that they've they've got the willingness of shareholders to contribute so much money, and they can do so without too much of a significant dilution. Actually, makes a great deal of sense. Mm. So how long will shareholders be willing to do that? I think as long as they've got faith in management, they will. And for this point in time, I think there's every reason to have great faith in management because for the longest of times they have just delivered again and again and again. And, and share price will always follow earnings over time, And but, but management don't control share price. But in sure. terms of their earnings, go to Yahoo Finance or Comsec or whatever platform you want to use and just bring up an earnings per share chart. It's a near perfect staircase, bottom left to top right. Mm. Um, 
and and when you when you're able to achieve that and pay out lots of dividends along the way and deliver lots of capital gains, you know, people are going to trust you a lot. And mm. and you've got a. It doesn't mean that this is going to work out, but I I I can imagine that they did a lot of work on this, and um, there's a better than even chance that it works out. Although we'll see. It's a good one, isn't it? It's um. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I, as I said, this, this is my, my cross to bear CSL. It's always looked expensive. I've never bought it. And so far, it's been a terrible decision of mine. So uh, we'll see We'll see what happens over if the next If it gets down to 250, yeah. I'm going to start to get a lot more interested. Let me Are tell you, you. But that's still 30 something times earnings, right? It, it is. It is. But there is, I'm, I've learned the hard way that it's worth paying up for quality. I'd, I'd rather have, you know, use the old Munger quote, or is it Buffer? Mm. You know, I'd much rather have a, a quality business at a fair price than a fair company mm. at, a, at mm. an attractive price. Um, so I think I think you've just got to pay up for quality. And two, I know that they're very big, but they have still managed to grow it in, in very very attractive rates despite their size. I mean, this is a company yeah. that is one hundred and thirty five billion dollars. If you just mm. bear with me here, I break out the old calculator. What have they got here? They've got <laughs> uh, just in the last year, yeah, a, a seven point. 2% growth in earnings per share, up a single digit growth for a company of that size, which is also paying you a dividend that's increased at mm. very highly high single digit rates for the longest of time, been very, very robust through a very difficult period. I mean, that's, you don't want to overthink that. And that doesn't mean that, that it, it, it couldn't uh, fall or maybe the market becomes more sensitive to valuations, et cetera. But I don't think it's ever a business that if you're a genuine long-term investor, you'll look back mm. in the year 2031 and go, oh, you know, I can't believe I paid 250 bucks for this thing. The <laughs> <laughs> worst case scenario is you, you might not get as high a return as you want, but you're certainly not going to lose mm. money. And I, I'd argue you'd probably make, you'd probably do okay. Yeah, like you probably will. You probably will. I just, I don't know. When it comes, it's, it's, the old trees don't grow to the sky problem we've talked about before, right? Mm. CSL's already so incredibly dominant. I, I wouldn't bet against them. It's, one, it's a bit like Macquarie, right? I'd never bet against it because you know, a whole lot of smart people whose job it is to try and, in Macquarie's case, make a lot of money and CSL's case, um, to try and make a lot of, you know, hopefully create a lot of health uh, or better health outcomes. But um, I don't know, mate, just the, the sheer, sheer size of it and to imagine the compound growth can continue at this scale for this amount of time. That's a bit, I, I, and I, I don't know, they could invent some cure or some treatment and they could double or triple in size for all I know. I just, you know, I, I try and I, I do when I think about our members, particularly, for example, a recommendation we make, um, you know, I, I, I kind of try and pose these rhetorical questions to myself. Mm. You know, if a member was to say, hey, you recommended it 40 times earnings at 300 bucks, turns out 10 years later it's at 280 bucks, um, you know, on what basis do you think it could grow fast enough for long enough to justify the current PE? Mm. I literally, I, I, I couldn't give you a good answer, and partly because I'm not a, a medical scientist. But I also look at that and go, despite all that, you know, the trees don't go to the sky problem. The bank, I mean, you know, the banks are a great example. We've talked about this a long time, often and often. But, um, you know, the banks got to a certain size and they stopped. Woolies and Coles, same thing. Their growth, their market share growth for 20, 30 years was fantastic. Banks were the same because they bought and, and overtook. Everyone else eventually got to the point, it's like, okay, we're done. We've saturated the market. We own the market. The market is the market. There's four of us. We're done. Yeah, you know, and it's like, we could have said over 20, 30 years. Look at the bank profit growth. Just extrapolate that for another twenty five years. Look how much money you'll have. Now, it's an extreme example. I'm not for a second saying CSL like the banks or Woolies and Coles, but that that question of how big is the market likely to be? That is the CSL question. really grow that fast? I just I don't I can't answer that with any any confidence at all because I don't know what the answer is. But that that so you're right. That is the right well one of the right questions to ask. I I I, I put some context around that. Um, so Pfizer, for example, so in a similar kind of space, is more than two and a half times the size of of CSL. And its net income has doubled 
between 2018 mm-hmm. and and the trailing 12 months period that we've seen yep. now. So yep. so when and 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 that's why I say you're right to ask that question. So when you're talking about the Aussie banks or Woolies, you know, their market is Australia. They don't really have any uh edge or or material or footprint overseas and any bank that has tried to go overseas has not worked out really well. It's not worked out that well. But CSL is is a genuinely global company with very, very significant operations established in these very, very large markets. It's hard to think for us as, as Australians because mm, we're such, mm. you know, two percent of the global mm-hmm. we, we had such minnows out there. So <laughs> I, I would I would argue, and I haven't done the deep dive research on this, but I would I I totally get your point. But I would say that actually a business mm. like that, if managed well, mm. the, the, the what you say, the smallest big word in the in the English language. If, yes, <laughs> if, if they if they are managed well, I actually mm-hmm. think that despite their size, they could afford to be much larger and still mm-hmm. underwrite some really really attractive earnings growth because yeah, because yeah. the global market for this is is so big, and the mm. economics in this kind of mm. industry tends to there are some genuine scale advantages. Mm. So once you get some of those advantages, you know, on your side, that they can really mm. compound in your favor as well. So that's why I said mm. it's one of the great questions to ask. So market opportunity definitely. The other one mm. is is that ability to sort of scale and that ability that ability to have a competitive edge, which makes it very difficult for even someone like an Elon Musk who says, hey, I'm going to get into blood plasma collection, mm. that even with all his uh, money and resources would find it very hard to do because he just lacks the, the incumbent advantages. So it's fascinating. But yeah, anyway, I think mm-hmm. I think what I'm saying is I don't own CSL shares at the moment because, again, as I said at the beginning, I've, I have kind of thought they're on the pricey side. But given the right price, and uh, I, I could be very, I could be very tempted because I, I do, as a business, see them as being around in ten years, and being much more mm. larger and more profitable in ten years. I like it. I, I'm not sure whether I hope you're right or hope you're wrong. I, I guess I hope you're wrong because that means I'd be right by not owning it. Otherwise, I'm going to look even sillier in a decade's <laughs> time. So uh, let, let's let's forget to mention this in 2031, mate. Um, let, let's let's finish off uh, just with a bit of fun. Um, short sellers are not. Some of my favourite people, not all short sellers. You've I, made I your thoughts abundantly clear. I yes. have, I have. Uh, I'm okay with short selling. I well, actually, no. I would. I'm okay with short. No, sellers. you're not. Most of them. I know. I, I ban short selling, uh, but I don't. But I don't think short sellers are terrible people. You know, to, to differentiate. Here's the, that's the other thing about like, these debates, right? Like. It'd be nice to be able to have a nuanced conversation about some stuff every wouldn't now and it, again. Wouldn't that like, be great? When you say, when I say, I would literally ban short selling. I would for sure. Do I therefore mean that all short sellers are terrible people? No, no, that, yeah, and it's, it's all that stuff of like you know, there are some terrible short sellers though, for the record, and, and they are the activist short sellers who engage specifically, some of them, uh, unnamed short sellers, in specifically trying to create the outcome they're, they're they're trying to warn us about. Look how terrible this thing is. Look at all this big glossy report with lots of fear mongering and bad words, and uh, you know the share price falls. They say, look, the share price falls, we made a profit. They sell. It's like, yeah. uh, didn't you guys just you know? We talk about pump and dumps where you push the price up and then sell. Uh, this is the dump and pump or the something. But this could be. I can't remember the phrase for it. Work with me on that over, over Christmas, Andrew. I'll see what we can do next year. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, when you when you when you, you know, sell and act, raise arguably, hell, yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. I love that. Sell and raise hell. Uh, when you when you create the very uh, you know uh, fall, you you otherwise intend to profit from. It, it's, it's it's a bit of a murky line. Anyway, mm-hmm. yep. Vulcan Energy, who I don't actually have a, a huge amount of you know love for. I don't hate them either, by the way. Uh, they're trying to make zero carbon lithium, which is a nice idea. If they do it, that'll be great for the world. Yeah. Um, I think the lithium thing is overdone, by the way, in terms of investment opportunity, which is I don't dislike the company Vulcan Energy or the people or anything about it other than I worry that investors get a little bit too excited about EVs equals lithium equals profit. Um, yeah. I think that's, a, that's an uncomfortable and too easy extrapolation. Yeah. Anyway, a short seller uh, put a report out not all that long ago 
basically taking the company to town. Mm. Uh, and again, short sellers. So they, these people believe the shares will fall. They made some allegations. They made some uh, observations. They made some judgments. Turns out you can't do that. <laughs> or if you do, if you can, turns out you then have to, uh, well, potentially pay some money to make it go away. Uh, and turns out J Capital has come to a settlement with uh, Vulcan Energy. They don't disclose what the settlement was in, in dollar terms, uh, but they do make an apology for some allegations made about management and staff, the chair and other people, uh, basically to make the whole thing go away. And so I just, you know, it, we, we, we hear a lot about short sellers and the human instinct is to assume they're right and maybe they are sometimes, but they can also be wrong and we need to be careful to just be a little bit careful about what we assume is correct and what we assume is incorrect. So let me just... Um, let me just read this. Uh, again, AFR again. Apologies, Michael Rodden this time. Um, we're quoting them a lot. Get a subscription, please. It makes me feel less bad. Um, the, there's a quote here. There's a public apology attached to the announcement. Jay Capital and Mr. Murray apologise for the critical research titled Vulcan, God of Empty Promises, and comments made by Mr. Murray in streaming internet interviews and on at CNBC. Jay Capital and Mr. Murray have further apologised for their response to Vulcan's rejection of the information in the short seller report. Uh, the quote, while Jay Capital and Mr. Murray may have different views about the potential of Vulcan's zero carbon lithium project, Jay Capital and Mr. Murray apologise for the allegations regarding Vulcan's board and management. So, you know, you can draw your own conclusions there. If you're a short seller and love short sellers, you're probably going to say, who cares? Uh, if you're uh, a Vulcan shareholder, you're going to feel like you've been somehow, um, what's the word, legitimised. Mm. Uh, either way, I, I, you know, it's one, it's, it's, I don't really care about the circumstances, neither do I care about the, the short seller or the company in this context. Just a reminder that not all short selling reports are correct. In fact, I think we said the other day, or a few weeks ago, WiseTech is back at pre-short selling highs. Um, a hell of a journey on the way through. Corporate Domino's, travel's the other one. Yeah, Domino's Pizza was Domino's, short at 40 yes. bucks, yeah. 100 and something, 15-ish. Um, and, and some, by the way, are absolutely right. So I'm not saying short selling is, is terrible or doesn't work. I'm not saying you can't make money short selling. Um, and I'm not saying don't listen to short sellers. What I would say is just take everything, as you would with, with people who are bullish, including us. Take it all with a grain of salt. I own shares in Kogan, as you mentioned earlier. I own shares in Corporate Travel Management and Telstra. Talked about those three companies today. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm right. I'm sure the short sellers think they're right as well. Just don't assume that by definition because they're short sellers. Uh, fear, we have a funny re reaction to as humans, but don't always assume they're right. Yeah, I think that's true, and, and you make the right point too. It goes it goes on the on the long side as well. Um, yeah, absolutely does. You know, just there's you have to form your own your own view on this. So I when, when yep. you I, I don't ignore it. Like if I've got uh, shares in a company and a short report comes, I do my mm. best to track that thing down and read it, and then take mm. it very 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 seriously. Mm. Not because my default assumption is that they're right, but it's just like, <laughs> well, what what's the what's the allegation here? Is there substance yeah. to it? Um, and, and often there isn't. And again, in that in, in that instance, there's actually a wonderful opportunity that is created. But mm -hmm. there have been other instances where actually I, I've thought, mm, yeah, that's mm. got some merit. Or, or maybe it's just I'm not smart enough to work out if it does have merit, which which also leads me to a to a, a an outcome to sell because if I don't know, that's that's as, that's um, that's something else that usually prompts me to get out because hope, hope, as I like to say, is not an investment strategy. So yeah, take it seriously. I mean, I read whatever yeah, I can get yeah. my hands on. You know, yeah. you've just you've just yeah. got to read everything with with a, a healthy skepticism and, and proportionality and with an open too, mind. Man. Yeah, 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 and, think, and understanding think, vested interests as well. Yeah, my, my my issue with shorting, as I've said many times, is actually not the shorters themselves. It's the fact that. It's so easy. Those examples we used, each, actually each of them, I think, corporate travel, wise tech and dominoes. Mm. I'm pretty sure the price fell meaningfully after the short case was received, right? And mm. that 
you know, those three. Now, others, I'm sure people probably shorted RFG when it went from $7 to, you know, 10 cents. So, you know, there's, there, there's sometimes short sales are right. It's a great thing um, about the market. There's an example for right, every, exactly, every and that, But that's almost, that's almost the point because when you see a short report, the, the, the average person um, – Generally says, "Oh my God, there's something wrong with this thing," and we do, we just we respond very differently. We know that we feel the pain of loss three times as much as we feel the, the joy of an equivalent gain. Mm. Um, so you know, we, we you gain ten percent, you feel good. You you lose ten percent, and you feel three times as bad, mm. which is crazy, right? But it's human nature, and that, that's I mean, yeah, I won't go back into my rant about short selling, but why I want our listeners to be mindful is it's you know you know know thyself as as somebody said, it probably wasn't. Uh, JP Morgan or who do we normally who do we normally quote with we don't know who made Buffett. <laughs> Some, someone someone said know thyself. Um, I should know that's embarrassing. Uh, but anyway, that that idea of just remember that when you see the next negative piece of content, you are going to respond three times as as significantly on the downside as the upside. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't do anything about it. I'm just saying remember that your brain is going to do that to you, and then think about okay, now I know I'm feeling three times as bad as I otherwise would if it was a gain. What should I actually do now? Mm. Rather than oh my god, I feel three times as bad. Let's just let's let's sell because it makes the pain go away. Yep. It's hard. It's hard, right? But yep. really it's important. Hard. Yep. I think we're done. Yeah. Should we come back on Sunday? I'm keen if you are. I absolutely. So here's the uh, just a quick peek behind the curtain. I think we recorded this Sunday's episode a few weeks ago. So we're definitely going to be back this Sunday <laughs> as long as, as long as the gremlins don't give us any grief. We're going to talk in a minute, mate, about a mailbag for next year though. So we are going to do a mailbag in a few minutes. There'll just be magic through the magic of time and the magic of radio. It'll be a month's time, which is also a little bit strange. But there you go. It's part of the fun of uh, podcasting, right? <laughs> you give too much away, mate. You, you, you shatter the illusion. You think I should keep it? Oh, mate, they, they don't know whether... No, no, one, no one believes I'm that clever, just quietly. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, we will be back on Sunday with another podcast with myself and with Andrew, as if we never left. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.